0: commencing launch sequence for a new show. Hello listeners, it's good to have you here, as if looks could kill, may stir up some dissonance, cognitive dissonance, here on the 13-year-old ASI podcast. My name is Rush Shaw, this is season number six, you're listening to episode 22 Oh yeah, cranking up some of that old 80s stuff. It looks killer. Live on the ASI podcast. This isn't really live, right? it has been recorded. You downloaded it as a podcast. I'm not doing the live streaming thing. Not anytime soon. I don't know. How well do I perform live? I tend to go off in little rabbit trails, and that's why I uh, I tend to edit down some things. Um, I'm working on that, so maybe we'll work on that today. Uh, today's show episode 22 uh why did i title it uh, if looks could kill first of all that is a old motley crew tune from the record shouted the devil <laughs> looks that kill that's the name of that song uh i laugh is this a i'm a christian guy right like russ aren't you supposed to be uh, this and this i thought this was like a christian show uh no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's I'm a Christian guy. This is a show. It's not just for Christians to consume. Um Uh this is a show about sexual integrity. Uh it's not about purity. That's a different thing. That's a different crowd, all right? Uh integrity. I'm I'm an integrity guy. I think integrity is important. Uh I've done a lot of shows on that. Not gonna repeat myself and um, my definition of integrity. <laughs> look it up <laughs> Google integrity that's uh, 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 anyway um, why do I not value purity uh, there's a good question maybe it's because um, it, it's very it's very kind of surface level right it's very knock it off you know just be good and, and there seems to be a lot of that going on in there so um, that and it doesn't get to the heart of the human experience And that's my opinion. It's based in my life experience. Um, Uh, Are we pure? Well, the Bible talks about sexual purity, Russ. Um, The Apostle Paul. Okay, I I get that. And I, I understand that. But the way that's interpreted by... see. The Bible, it wasn't written in English, all right, that's a big one, and it's been interpreted into English about a hundred times, and that's just in English, all right, not to say that I don't value Scripture, I I really do, but bringing it into the context in each book and, and digesting that, and when you don't understand a word, or if a word feels you know, judgy or even weighty going into like Greek and ancient Hebrew and looking that stuff up. I, I, I love that stuff. See, that's more of a understanding of relationship with, with God. Uh, I'm not a solo scriptor guy. Uh, I used to be, I think. But the more uh, I study, the more I understand, the more mystery there is in the scriptures, the more, um, story and, and reason has to give way to meaning and feelings, right? And life experience, not to say that feelings aren't sometimes, uh, deceptive. Sure. They can be deceptive, but, um, the way that purity purity tended to stir in me a lot of really harsh feelings judgmental feelings um i tended to believe that my essence was defiled was stained even you know and those stains just weren't coming out and the proof of that was my not being able to do right for more than 24 hours at a time, maybe. You know, if I was lucky. I couldn't go all day without doing wrong. So I must be beyond the economic word redemption. You see, I had a voice in my head telling me Whatever purity was, I was the opposite of that. Somewhere along the way, I grew the understanding that filthy, dirty things aren't of value to the Lord. All right? So maybe that's part of why I shy away from that word. Another thing is just in culture, it it tends to uh, have people land in a place of perfection, right? if you if you were pure, then you're somehow perfect or you're holy. Uh, Holiness. This is another one I've learned fairly recently. And that's part of season six. So... I was asked a question by a listener, and I'll get to that in a minute. But season six is me today, Russ Shaw, at 50 years old today. All right. That's how old I am now. Um, struggling with this unwanted sexual behavior for a a large chunk of my life. And it got really bad to the point of, of almost committing suicide. All right. I came very close. That, I would say, is complete self destruction. I think addiction is a form of self-destruction. It's like slow suicide. I remember Ozzy Osbourne got a bunch of flack back in the 80s because he recorded a song called Suicide Solution. That song is actually about alcohol addiction, all right? And, and some of it's his own story. Uh, the band Metallica, their last album, was hardwired to self-destruct and one of the things that I heard, you know, is like, we, no one really commits suicide. We all self-destruct, which is the opposite of wholeness, all right? That word holiness, you know, usually like the Catholics, right? The Pope is holy. No, he covered up uh, sexually abusive children. That's not holy, all right? No one's holy except for Jesus, who, by the way, was executed for being a sinner by the religious establishment, according to the Bible, even, all right? Um, Wholeness. What if the translation of that word holiness is not your perfect, sinless, but whole, as a whole person? I'm working on that. (laughs) closer than I was when I started this show. Hell, I'm closer than I was a year ago. Wholeness isn't perfection either. Um, Paul Young, author of The Shack, when I had him on the show, he said uh, a good way to define wholeness is when the truth of your being meets the way of your being. That's wholeness. The word demon in Greek, it actually means to divide the division of a human being, the severing, right? And, and for me, not being honest or out in the light as he is in the light, more like I live today with my flaws in the light, um, I was suffering with compulsive pornography use, I guess you could say, um, to where, it, and I and I classify that by saying when I wanted to stop and I couldn't, right? When I felt like it was controlling me and I wasn't controlling it, that's where I would go with the word addiction. Uh, it was compulsive behavior. And, and then it went to seeing prostitutes, all right, while I was married and having to explain that to my wife That was heartbreakingly difficult. But that's dealing with your demons, right? The division, a big part of that division was the secret. Was what was in the shadows. And it was the most difficult thing I've ever had to do in my life. Keep my flaws in the light. After it had grown in the closet in the mold like that nasty thing in the back of your refrigerator thrives in the dark right and this has been a process it's not something that happens overnight and in the history of the show um, I started the show before I was I came clean about that about my adultery all right so about episode 40 is where I finally spill Spill the beans. That's a horrible way to, to say something. So, like, I, I, I can laugh today. It's not funny, but there's comedy does that. It stirs those kinds of feelings. Looking back and the, the miraculous fact that I'm still alive, my wife and I have this relationship still. Um, the message of this podcast didn't end in episode 40, although I took a, almost a year before I picked up the mic again. I can be light about it in a way that doesn't, it doesn't crush me anymore. It doesn't stir up these horrible feelings of shame like it used to, uh, holding me underwater. It felt like in a way, um, not, not talking about it. This one of the things I started the show with was like, tell somebody Yes. I still hold to that. You know, if this is a secret that you've never told anybody about, just telling one other human being doesn't have to be your spouse, uh, but telling someone, and this is for some of you Christian guys out there, right? Like the young guys who are millennials, like this is just the norm in the culture, porn use now. And the funny thing I've learned over the years is those are the folks that tend to see healing and results faster than the guys keeping it in the dark. So, tell someone. Releases some of that, right? It brings together. It addresses the demons. It brings a crack of light in there. And getting to Johnny V's question, I'm addressing uh, what may have been going through my head if I would have asked a question like that. And I think part of it questions like that and i think a part of it is man if looks good kill right when she finds out when if i have to tell her ah uh, that's um so in the early days of the show i would insinuate um almost encouraging people, listen, you don't have to tell her, you know. I had a counselor at the time who was telling me that, by the way. Yes, I did see a Christian counselor, and that Christian counselor said, I should take that to my grave. Yeah, that's right. When my behavior escalated from compulsive pornography use to uh, soliciting the services of prostitutes, Sometimes more than once a day, usually at least two or three times a week for a few years. This cat told me to keep that a secret. All right. He's he, he's not in practice anymore. <laughs> I tried to look him up. Uh, probably because uh, one thing that can happen with compulsive sexual behavior is um, STDs, right? And, and it's not necessarily STDs like AIDS and everybody thinks like, you know, hepatitis is is the big one. People are more afraid of herpes than they are hepatitis. Hepatitis can kill you, all right? And odds are, when it comes to really compulsive sexual behavior, hepatitis is more of a risk factor than AIDS is now because we've found so many um, ways to prevent AIDS from happening before it happens. But you know, my wife was tested for hepatitis and AIDS and other STDs. I I used condoms. I was pretty safe. That's another thing kind of controversial about me as a Christian. Yeah. Condoms are pretty safe. All right. Um, I was compulsive and I was with a lot of prostitutes, uh, So, and those, those worked, you know, and and sure, a a couple of them broke. And so that was another reason why, um, it was important to get tested and it's important to confess some of the stuff, right? Uh, and that's where cognitive dissonance comes in. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit today. And before I get to the question, (laughs) I'm going through a little bit of a history of this show. Um, And I will say that if you're in the compulsive stages of this, use a condom, all right? You know, I'm not purity guy. I'm not going to slap your hand and tell you to knock it off. Uh, I am going to approach your heart Hopefully. And not in a judgy, you know, shame on you. You're a sinner. <laughs> We're all sinners. All right. Uh, that, that language to me is, is, is shame inducing and counterproductive uh, in my experience. Do I use the word? Yeah. Do I like the word? Yeah, I think it's an important word, but the way most folks tend to translate that word is based on what other people are doing and not dealing with it behind their own eyes, right? So two words, sin and purity. Uh, A lot of Christian guys and gals, they'll get into like a purity group, for example, and then they'll start trying to Attach that word to themselves when they've been using it to judge others for so long right And usually what happens is it it just throws the judgment back kind of like a rubber ball like a tennis ball thrown against a wall When we we don't really have a clear understanding of of these words and how they impact us in our own heart and psyche This is you know again more devastation over and over again in the Bible, there's these stories of a contrite heart, right? A contrite heart God will not despise. But once we get to the place where we feel the gravity of a contrite heart, right, where we're in it, and then we bring a word like sin in the mix, we're tempted to, to shallowize that word um, as I make up a word, <laughs> shallowize that's so sinful for example and so the way that word is translated is it's not what i'm doing it's not inside here it's what the gays are doing for example right that's another thing i've learned on the journey of doing this show for 13 years you know uh, meeting gay christians yes there are lgbt christians in the world and why they've been such a huge blessing in my life is because they have learned to live in the tension right that word sin creates tension well the bible says to repent russ yes and what does that mean right what 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 does healing mean in our culture today What are small potatoes and big potatoes? Because the Bible is also going to say that everyone sins and has fallen short. Um, That if you say that you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. First John four, right? This is, this is in the book too. We all live in the tension. So you see how using the word sin and pointing out there creates a habit It creates a a cognitive dissonance-solving habit, and it's counterproductive to our healing. Does that make sense? And again, ASI247.org. Send me an email. If you disagree, I'd I'd love to hear from you. Or you have some thoughts. Um, Some of these shows, like this show today, is based on, on those thoughts that come from from listeners to this podcast. And I really do honor and value what you think um, as a listener to the show. What I'm putting out there in the world is, it's got a ripple effect, right? And um, I really do have a a heart that cares for people and I'm interested. So uh, again, Russ at ASI247.org. Uh, Twitter. I'm at Russ Shaw, all one word, and Facebook, uh, Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection is the Facebook group, and all of that is linked on to ASI247.org, as well as my email address, Russ at ASI247.org, and if you don't get an email back from me, uh, odds are I didn't get your email. We got some low budget IT over here. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> All right. If you want to check out my vintage web design skills, ASI247.org. And this question was sent to me through Messenger. That's Facebook Messenger on the Facebook page. What is it? Heart, mind, love, sex, and affection. All right. It's not the attitudes of sexual integrity. Facebook group, why? Because that would be weird. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, this isn't the sex addiction Facebook group. Be, I, not, I don't know. Would that be weird? I just, I don't know. This isn't like sex addiction rehab radio. Does that make sense? Hey, that reminds me. I have a sponsor now. Uh, Asi, the podcast has a sponsor. That's right. Uh, Better Health which has uh, some links from my homepage, asi247.org, and a few other pages on the site. And, and they gave me some money for that. Um, not a lot of money, all right? But it's cool to have a sponsor that I actually think provides a really good service, and I've turned down sponsors in the past. And listen, I'm poor, all right? I'm not making a lot of money at this. I drive Uber and Lyft, all right? Uh, It's my primary source of income. So, right? So this is for me to turn down money from a sex addiction rehab center or two. Because I've had listeners in the past who've spent, what guy spent like 70 grand to go to one of these places and... He didn't help him out a whole lot. Although I did have a, a, a guest on the show who went to one and had some positive results. But I did ask them, like I would ask them questions like, okay, let me talk to, I want to, you know, what's your recovery record or how, how many people are getting help through your services? And do you have documentation of that? And they never got back to me. So I did not um, use the, I did not put their link on my website and they did not give me money and I had to go do another 20 rides (laughs) As a Lyft driver. I just drive for Lyft now. Uh, I'm not even a Uber driver. Lyft is busier here in Seattle. Anyway, see there? I'm going off on another tangent again. Bring it back in, Russ. Bring it back in. All right. Here we are. The question that comes from Facebook Messenger, Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection, from a listener, we'll call him Johnny V. All right. Uh... He asks, uh, "Did your wife need recovery after your acting out? How was her childhood and your marriage prior to acting out?" Um, Some of the lead-in to this show, I'm actually processing the years since my confession uh, to to everything. All right, it's a great question, by the way. It, It is a little personal. Uh I'll I'll address it and approach it from my sexual addiction rock bottom moment. Seeing my wife sit in a doctor's office, uh, with the gown on being tested for all these STDs because of my behavior, right? My unchecked, Sexual sin, you know, you could define it as. But again, this is where I, you know, defining shallowized, right? What if it's just the behavior It's not helping anybody, right? What you did was bad, Russ. Like, you don't think I don't already know that. And that doesn't sit inside me and eat at me. You don't think I already again sin that that just it's an infection it's like that gets inside that little shamey voice oh look at you you're you're defiled you're gross oh man this is why i'm more orthodox in my theology today um orthodoxy would say you are created in the image of god that imago day for you christians and i've found this the best way to think about this and process this that is your your deepest um, building blocks of identity that the seed uh, that is in you the spark that is in you is spirit that is that is part of the image of god that is in scripture In all of the languages, right? In all of the translations, you are made in the image of God. Um, uh, uh, There's a lot of Protestant denominations that teach something called total depravity, which came from Calvin and says that your deepest seed of who you are is, is totally depraved, right? Like you're scum and without acquittal Jesus up there giving you an acquittal, Um, And and, and our grateful feelings towards that are supposed to change our behavior. I I believed this for a long time. The beginning of the show, again, this is season six. um, The beginning of the show, I I did believe a a lot of that that kind of language. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. In orthodoxy, that's considered heresy. I told the listener who wrote in this question, uh, Johnny V, that... I would, you know, normally I would point a listener to some old shows that I had recorded in the past, but I felt like this is a season six thing, right? Like I need to, uh, talk about what I've processed since starting the show, since season one, season one, episode 40, when I finally tell the truth about everything really, um, go another seven years without even masturbating and I hit a rough patch right my wife and I hit a rough patch in our relationship um, and pornography returns into my life part of that is me processing shame and listening to my body well he didn't ask about you Russ he asked about your wife I know I'm getting to that. My point is, part of this theology discussion is because we grew up in Christian homes with Christian ideas of doing life together, of marriage, of sexuality. And when you really believe, when you really take to heart these ideas on salvation, like Don't you know Jesus died for your sins on the cross? Like, all of your sins. It's one of those, it's like the Geico commercial. You could save 15 minutes on car insurance. Yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody's heard that. And I think we file it away as some kind of an acquittal, most of us. Was there a price paid at the cross? Yeah, but it wasn't an acquittal. It wasn't. You're right. We, we all get a pass. <laughs> you know, can you lose your salvation? Um, I, I'm not going to get too theological here in this show. Those those are all theological questions. I don't want this to be a theology show on sex. All right. But these are things that I thought about and stirred some of my feelings of shame. All right. Understanding that God loves me, that everyone is saved. That's another one, orthodoxy. And you look in the Bible, there's this pouring out of salvation on everyone in the world. I think for me, it's just people don't understand that or they don't realize they're saved, right? Well, that's the bigger question. Are you saying that you're uh, a universalist now, Russ? Maybe I'm a hopeful universalist, right? Like, But... uh, I think that translating scripture and being in relationship with your creator helps with this stuff, all right? Are you like Rob Bell now and you don't believe in hell, Russ? Uh, Hell, again, and I've been saying that since the beginning of the show, hell is not Dante's Inferno, all right? It's not some uh, rolling up crunchy pieces of paper and those are people going into the wastebasket of hell, to be burned in the incinerator later, right? A, uh, Jesus is using metaphors. So it's Gehenna. Um, okay, so is the wastebasket purgatory and the incinerator is hell? <laughs> Again, I don't. I'm not going to get too theological. All right, just look it up. <laughs> Maybe if I can stir your curiosity. What, what do you think about orthodoxy? I don't attend a Orthodox church, by the way, I'm not into the bells and smells and pageantry and robes. And yeah, I read Matthew 23, you know, kind of wrecked me for some of that stuff that people value that stuff. I, I get what they're doing. They're trying to bring you into an experienced, you know, something you can see and smell and taste, right? The, the Orthodox church does that, which I think is cool. It's just not for me. Um, I asked I went I joined a Facebook group called the Orthodox hipster coffee hour or something like that and they kicked me out <laughs> so it was funny like I don't know I, I I asked about the vesmas and you know the robes and stuff I'm like you know what's up with that like I, I I help me understand you know i I think that stuff's creepy to be honest and they you know rather than be curious about my position (laughs) trying to trying to uh pastor my soul on Facebook. No, they were just out. No, kick me right the heck out of there. That's what happened. I think it's creepy. (laughs) I'm an old metalhead punk rocker. right I don't I don't get it. (laughs) I just help me understand. They weren't gonna do that. But even with my rough around the edges persona i I do believe god loves me as one of his kids right one of god's little rascals that has changed my life not just believing it but experiencing it the orthodox love c.s lewis i talked about the great divorce in the show a lot and in that book, um, hell is a place that we choose, right? We, we, we want to be there. It's kind of like addiction. It's a great book. Uh, check it out. It's on the book list, by the way, ASI247.org. A God who would throw me into a lake of fire because I'm bad. As opposed to how the Orthodox would put it, hell is something we create for ourselves and the the creator of the universe the lover of our soul the one who created the Imago day spark in each one of us wants to save us from uh, let me correct that has already saved us from early on in my life the reason I had a lot of you know pain that I heaped on myself, the copious amounts of drugs I did, um, drinking myself unconscious, having an alcohol overdose and dying, being flatline at 16 years old for two minutes. A big part of that was because I believe that. If there's a hell, I'm going. I can't be good enough for this God. That's where I'm going. And that thought process, those cognitions were birthed out of what I learned growing up, you know, about sin and the devil and hell or school. Shul, the old Jewish reference to it, you know, I believed it was like the book Dante's Inferno, which is what a lot of Christian Protestants believe. And Catholics, they just add a thing called purgatory to it, you know. It's like a holding cell or something. Remember Robin Williams, you know, you're going to smoke a turd in purgatory. That <laughs> was his joke. My point behind all of this is that our life experience stirs up cognitive dissonance. There's there's stuff behind the compulsive actions we keep taking. And just calling it sin, so as a result we'll feel bad about it, isn't stopping the the behavior or the feelings. It's It's compounding them so with all of that christian theological stuff that i bring to the table right in our relationship russ and dana meet going back to the last episode on love story right what does our love story look like um at this point uh, addressing the listener's question after the bomb goes off and I have a thing called complex trauma, all right? So part of why I think I got really heady about this religious stuff uh, was because my folks, I, I there wasn't a whole lot of nurture going on, especially after they got divorced. They both married fairly abusive people. My mom married a couple of times. Uh she was gone a lot. She had to work, she had to put food on the table. I was a lone latchkey kid basically raising myself and being um like a wounded gazelle on the Serengeti, an easy target for predators. Predators. All right. Uh so I'm bringing all of my shit into the relationship. And I'm trying to hide it, right? I'm, I don't want her to know these things about me. When it came to the sexual abuse, I didn't want anyone to know about that stuff about me. And now here I am telling it to the world. <laughs> it's just weird. But that's part of my healing. It wasn't until I was 38 that I was able to tell another human being about that. That's thats progress that I've been able to share the really deeply wounded parts of my soul with others. My wife, um, she was the first one to get healing, all right? She was the first one to go to a counselor. We went to, and we went to the church, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, Mental health is, early on, was not something that, poor people usually had right I'm a pizza guy Um, I'm working as a pizza guy my wife was at home taking care of the kids and uh, pornography came up we went to couples counseling and then the counselor saw my wife and she started unpacking her own sexual abuse uh, she didn't tell me that until the second counselor. Her first counselor just stopped counseling and said, I'm quitting the counseling deal, so sorry. And she ended up, we we were seeing this guy, Alec, Alec Lee Warner in Lake Stevens, and he was helping us out as a couple, and then he wanted to see Dana. Uh, but Dana was, Dana went to him first, and she was unpacking, um, her childhood sexual abuse. And I remember in the car she said that, and I, I might have addressed this on the last show, show before. Um, he asked when I was going to come in and deal with talk about what happened to me, and uh, I never told anybody about that. I'm, tears are streaming down my face. I'm trying to hold in crying. I, it was dark as we were driving. I didn't want her to see but it was a you know that's one of those triggers right it, it touched a nerve kind of like that dentist puts a thing in your mouth and you ah you know that was a that was a wound that i had not dealt with at that time so she started in with the with the counseling first and and i was real reluctant man and back then when i was what 24 26 I can't remember. I would I was terrified of opening up myself to someone and and even saying that I need help, even expressing weakness in any way shape or form. Freaked me out, man. That very heavy telephone when reaching out. I, f- I get that. I felt that. Not that all counselors are great. Not that they're all, you know, I mean, some you got to be discerning. And when the chemistry isn't right, don't be afraid to get a new one or another one. It really is an act of courage and a defining moment even. And, yeah, technology has made it easier. And life experience was part of my reluctance to counseling. My mom took me to a counselor, you know, after they got divorced. Uh, And later in my teen years when I kept skipping school and I was on drugs, you know, my mom knew that took me to a counselor. Uh, Some of that stuff wasn't always super helpful. Some of it really was even the stuff that was, though, I thought was not (laughs) just because of what I mentioned earlier and how I processed sin, purity and shame. Uh, but today, you know, again, I get the heaviness to it, walking into a therapist's office or go to a place like BetterHelp and, uh, fill out the thing. They, they do online therapy, by the way, counselors and stuff. Um, but for me to, for me to go there was really difficult for me to open up, for me to shed that shell You know, that that armor that I had around me that I felt was keeping me safe. You know, this layer of ego. I've done this before. You know, I got the answers. I'm able to survive. To remove that red lizard from my shoulder. That was really difficult. To really actually open up and, and to not be defensive. Me? This guy? I was uh, as defensive, you know, in in the couple's counseling. This is habitually how I learned to respond to my wife catching me with the porn over and over again. And this is also why I wanted to title this show, If Looks Could Kill. See, when she saw me looking at that stuff she hurt it hurt her and her response to that hurt was aimed at me right some of you guys can relate my reaction to that was also fairly habitual i think for a lot of us guys we start out you know kind of fumbling around and we try and be honest and we do want the intimacy But after a while, we learn it's easier to lie, you know, it's easier to hide. And a big part of it is because we feel that, you know, when when our wives our spouse, right, whoever they look at us with those eyes and some of us, the feeling that comes with letting your partner down, someone you love, you know, it feels like death. Those looks can kill, right? And we want to survive, man. We want to avoid that at all costs. That's most of us, you know, to lie. You know, we learn to hide. We learn to not bring all of ourselves into the relationship. We, we, we feel like we need to pull things back. We need to hide things because we're guys or whatever cultural thing we learn growing up or whatever. Um, back to the listener's question. My my wife's childhood, a lot of this stuff, she's going to, you know, if she ever wants to be on the show, she could explain that to you. She hasn't expressed any interest in in talking about it publicly. All right. And I honor that, all right? I respect her decision to do that. There's something else to coming out here in a forum like this and doing it publicly, and she doesn't have to do that, and that's okay. One thing that she has talked about early shows when she was on was uh, childhood sexual abuse. That tends to put people in a way of surviving that is super unique to everyone, all right? And I don't think it's just childhood sexual abuses. We go through trauma as kids. A lot of us have been through a divorce. That can really be a shock to the system. Our security, you know, how we define love, um, conflict resolution, things like that. All of these things add up to how we learn to survive. And those survival mechanisms are unique. They're unique to you and they're unique to me. They're unique to both my wife and I as we try and bring ourselves into this relationship and do intimacy together, right? I had Dr. Block on the show years ago and he was uh, one of the things he said has stuck with me to this day. He, you know, this is over a decade ago. He said, intimacy is that stuff that's going on in your head, the things that you think about, the things that you feel. It's sharing that with your partner. See, the lying and the faking and the pretending and the covering up, it blocks that flow of intimacy, of of I get you, you get me, sexual energy and attraction that happens from some of that, right? Your relationship with your spouse, is she angry all the time? Like, I, I don't know your situation, but I i get the fear of that relationship. and And I also get... Um, codependency. All right. This is a uh, being addicted to a relationship. I-, I used to unpack this as a Christian guy. And I remember talking about this years ago on this here podcast, um, and saying, well, you know, the psychological word has this world, has this word codependency and, you know, well, as Christians. So I was reading this and this is, uh, This is from the website uh, belief.net and this is uh, Steps to Breaking Codependency. This is some of the things. The following list summarizes some of the characteristics a codependent struggles with. Um, Accepting responsibility for others, feelings or actions. If she feels... Angry because if you're looking at pornography, what, what is that? Where does that come from? Does it come from a Christian upbringing, maybe? A religious upbringing? Uh, does it come from jealousy? These are really important questions. Her past behind her eyes, the reason she's triggered by your pornography use, because it's sin. All right, I think we've addressed that. Okay, now let's get underneath it. Let's understand the reason for the reaction. Right. Um. Before, I think in the early shows, I, I would have said, "Well, of course, you're supposed to care about her feelings." You know, I might have even said that. Well, I sinned, and that's why she feels bad. Okay, again, there's layers to this. There's layers to this, isn't there? A strong desire to please others. Is that bad? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wanting others to feel good. I think there's a people-pleasing thing to it, right? So yeah, the old me, uh, first, second, third, fourth season Russ Shaw, might have said, there's nothing wrong with that. Make other people feel good. That's cool, you know. Um, Was I a people-pleaser? Maybe if I liked you, especially if I, if we were in a relationship, a romantic relationship, I wanted, I didn't want you to see me, you know, I didn't want you to see my shack as uh, Paul Young would say. It's a metaphor for the heart, you know, that's where I hide all the crap and I, right. You don't want to see my heart. It's gross in there. It's dirty. You know, I just lock stuff away in there. Pretend it doesn't even exist anymore. So people-pleasing is kind of like putting up the facade. We try and throw up this facade. Hey, I'm a nice guy. Look at me. You know, I'm going to make you happy. Buy a diamond ring, girl. You know, that kind of thing. But we tend to not let them in. It makes us codependent. And then we get addicted to that relationship. And let me tell you something. When you're addicted to a relationship, it will make the addictions... In your life, whether they're chemical or behavioral, it makes them worse. It tends to exasperate them. I've heard this from from AA to gambling addiction, but see, sex, or as people in AA call it, the Thirteenth Step. <laughs> I make jokes. Um, it's true, though. The Thirteenth Step. I don't know. Sidebar. I went off on a tangent. Let me bring it back. Um, intimacy. When sex is birthed out of intimacy, I get you, you get me. It's good, man. God made it. God made it good. Ah, But we have so many boundaries and borders and, and, and sin and, you know, things to discourage people from doing it. Unable to break free of controlling or abusive relationships. Has your spouse hit you? You fight? like say really mean, nasty things to each other in front of the kids. Are you in an abusive relationship, man? I don't know, but you need to nip that in the bud, man. Quick. I pray that you do that. That's going to take you again, seeing a counselor, somebody, Um, consistently putting the needs of others before their own. Well, that sounds like selfishness. You know, you, you sound like you're just, you just want to be selfish. See, that's another thing. You start addressing these things, you're going to be seen as the enemy. And for me, I even started to feel like it. When I started saying no to like church stuff, or some of the groups or things that I was involved in, I felt like the bad guy. It's just, listen, I'm, I'm in a place where I need to, I need to deal with me. All right. That's not being selfish. Again, I go back to that, uh, that airplane analogy where, you know, every time you take a flight, they usually tell you that story, (laughs) you know, something bad goes wrong. Something bad happens. Oxygen mask is going to fall out of the roof. Put yours on first and then help your kids or the person next to you. Right. The reason that is, is because if your head isn't right, because you're losing oxygen. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to, to be there for your spouse. you got to get you right to be in a relationship. There was this old saying in AA, and it said, uh, uh, if you're single, you know, and you were in an AA group and you wanted to be in a romantic relationship with someone if you wanted to do the 13th step i don't know like 13th step is sex addiction um i kid it's serious though this is one of my critiques of 12 step um although i i do like 12 step i'm not shitting on 12 step and here's an example of one of the things I took away and I, and I do like, you know, they said if you're a single person and you want to get in a relationship, first get a plant or a dog. And if either one of those two things are still alive by the end of 12 months, then you can seek a relationship, you know, and that's funny. It's sort of a joke. I don't know if everybody actually did it or treated it seriously, but the reason that's funny is because. Again, that that, you know, oxygen mask analogy, you get you right and then get into a relationship because that relationship will be better once you're my friend Seth Taylor. He says, you know, don't go to couples counseling. I don't know if I agree with that totally. I've had some couples counseling did help. You know, we took some good pieces from some couples counseling stuff. But but I would agree that it's better to deal with you and she deal with her. With a, and then you come together individually, right? Unless one of you has a crappy counselor. But then you get another one, right? You, you'll find the right person. You just got to work at it, man. That's what I've learned. But you see what I'm saying, right? She gets her help from someone and becomes more whole, right? They start to bring that way of her being and the truth of her being together. Y- you too, especially you, if she doesn't want to go to counseling, you go get counseling. That's what my wife did. My wife went first. I started to see her heal. Made me curious. I went to counseling. All right. Um, Moving on with the list. Uh, Can no longer separate their own wishes and desires from those of their partner. All right. You aren't allowed to want to do things. For me, I'll share this with our relationship my friends, when my wife and I first met... So I'm from the the world of recovery and uh, being a crazy person. Drug addict, alcoholic, all of the substances. I, my friends were drug addicts and drug dealers and criminals when my wife and I had first met. And so it, she was introduced to some of that, you know. And I was backing away from it. So I was... You know, I was getting clean from the the drugs and drinking myself unconscious. I didn't do that anymore at the time. But my friends were kind of scary people at the time. So as I as I grew and, you know, I started going to church and, and then wanting to go out with friends. And I still had some old friends from back in the day. But those friends weren't in jail or dead you know which which wasn't, you know, uh, uncommon for for some of the people I hung out with. Uh, anyway, they were they were more cleaned up. Like my friend Dave, my friend Tom, um more of a sense of a beat about themselves, right? So hang for me to hang out with friends was going to be a fight. It was going to be a fight even even going to recovery groups and I just had to say I have to go, man. Um I'm sorry, you're, you're mad. That's okay. It's okay for you to be mad. And this stirred that scary, scary thing, right? That conflict. I knew there was going to be conflict. And this time I didn't avoid it. This time I looked at her and said, I'm going out the door either to hang out with friends or to hang out with people who are invested in my getting healthier, right? As a person. And whether she was mad or not, she was going to have to deal with that. And it wasn't as bad as I thought, you know. I thought I was going to come home, and all my stuff would be out there on the porch. Wasn't the truth? Wasn't the truth? You know, it's another one of those things we worry about. Most of the things we worry about don't happen. Um, but this was one of the things I had to do. Uh, was have my own desires about having my own friends and social groups. Okay. That's okay. Um, as an adulterer, she was scared that I was going to go out and cheat if she didn't have her eyes on me all the time. You know, that was some of her pain. I get that. uh. Difficulty setting realistic personal boundaries. That's been one for me. On the other show, Punk Theology, uh, my friends addressed me with some boundary issues. They kind of came at me. Some of it was my uh, recreational outrage <laughs> towards the Roman Catholic Church and Willow Creek and all this. I'm just like, ah! like I've, I've had a hard time with that stuff, man. And now James McDonald, man, I know. You guys are probably getting sick of it, too. So they, they're helping me out with that. Um, lost touch with who they are as an individual. Mm. One of the things that inspired me to do this podcast was the reality show Breaking Bonaducci. I loved how he was so honest and how he just put it out there had this really courageous, I don't, you know, I'm out of fucks or whatever. I don't give a shit what people think of me. I'm going to, this is my life. I want to get better and I, I want to see a better future. And it, even if it breaks me, I'm going to enter into this space of healing. That was the title, right? Breaking Bonaducci. Danny Bonaducci was a child star whose life gone off the rails. Uh, I respect that guy. He's actually a radio guy here in Seattle. Now Um, there was these clips at the beginning of the show and they'd use those to tease the show. Right. And one of the clips were, I'm not really sure who Danny Bonaduce is anymore. Right. And part of me really resonated with that. At that time in my life, I wasn't really sure who Shaw was anymore. I was coming home to my family After, you know, the things I hadn't confessed, the things that were eating at me, I started losing sense of who I was. And it wasn't my wife's fault that I was codependent, that I needed this family thing to work. That I needed her to to love me, even if it wasn't really me she was seeing a lost sense of who I was. resentful, often feeling like a victim that was another one that was that was a trigger for me to act out, you know. I talked about that again on the punk theology show. (laughs) They were because some of my behavior was sort of acting out kind of behavior, right? Not that it's pornography or something like that, but I'm I'm acting out of a place of resentment, right, towards the Roman Catholic Church, towards Willow Creek, towards James Dobson. Uh, Familiar, you know. That's what I did with porn. And I resent I was resentful towards her, you know, and some of us guys can get that way because we think we go into a marriage thinking we're going to get sex whenever we want it or we have this strong sexual need or desire and she's not on the same rhythm or she doesn't have that same desire or she can't keep up with my sexual appetite. We say things like that. So we hide in the dark and use pornography until it becomes a problem Um Resentment, feeling like a victim. That is so true. Um, fear rejection or fear of feeling abandoned and alone. Huge, huge for me. And this went all the way back to, you know, my my childhood, right? My My sexual abuse. This guy telling me, if anyone finds out about this, Russ they're going to they're going to leave you right they're going to know how dirty and filthy and gross you are they're going to abandon you and you'll be alone unloved i believe that shit all right i believe that shit um and that infected my relationships going forward it's one of those things one of those Deep things. EMDR helped a lot with that. Excuse me. Um, Attempts to control and manipulate variables in their environment. Uh, I did a lot of that. And a lot of that, you know, any addict or someone who's struggling with porn addiction, you know. uh, Back in the day, we used to have to wipe our are, you know, your browser history. Uh, It was a lot more work than it is today. The people that create these Internet browsers know that people are hiding stuff, so they've made it a little easier, which is interesting to me uh, in human behavior, right? That here's this window into the world, this digital window, and we need to create a place where it's really easy to not let people see what you've been looking at through that window. That's a that's social psychology right there. Um, manipulate the environment is is, again, hiding, keeping things in the dark. Because if they were in the light, I would get murdered with those looks that kill, right? Not just that. going can be heavy consequences. Uh, the last one is uh, makes extreme sacrifices to meet their partner's needs. That's a good one to land the plane of the show on. I've always said in the past... I've said, I'm glad my wife had a problem with the porn addiction stuff, you know, that, that she didn't like me looking at porn. And there are some guys out there who your wives are okay with you looking at porn. Um, and sometimes, yeah, that can create a wedge unless there's some kind of a physical thing going on where she really can't have sex. You know, some of this, some of this can just create a bigger divide, uh, and and really, it's kind of like my friend Jay Stringer said when I interviewed him. He wrote the book "Unwanted: How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing." See, when it's when it's a problem, when your relationship is broken, this sometimes we don't even realize it's the relationship that's exacerbating the masturbating. Uh, sorry, those rhyme. It's true, though, right? And 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 also, like he said in that interview, it was a couple of shows ago. What happens is, rather than treating the the relationship itself, or or not even the relationship, but the reasons we we can't be in relationship that's that's life giving and love filled and joyful you know that's explorative sexually if you can be together and 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 love each other and explore each other's bodies and be naked and unashamed with each other what happens is the looks that kill have us go underground and not address the reasons we're not connecting We start treating the symptoms, right? We start getting another accountability partner. We start, you know, another thing on NoFap, you know, 30 days, whatever. Uh, These things can be a replacement. It's kind of like religion or belief being a bad replacement for experienced faith. See, I think a lot of religion is the opposite of faith. It's it's getting addicted to the certainty behind it. And we feel and we're certain that if we can just be obedient to this God, he will bless our relationship. He will bless my life. If I could just stop with the porn, God will bless us. God will bless me. But it's me that's dirty. And, you know, no, no, none of that's true. God is after this, this wound, this wound in your heart and all that religious stuff and all the accountability partners and all the counting your days. It's, it's blocking that. It's not, it's not letting you get, cause you're afraid. I get it, man. You're afraid. I was afraid too. Scared. It, there, speaking of C.S. Lewis, there's this story. I'll land the plane on this. There's a story of uh that he tells. I forget which book it's in. But this this little boy is turned into a dragon, right? He's told to 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 be obedient on the trail, right? And he's not. And one of the actions that he takes leads him to be turned into a dragon, right? Doesn't like being a dragon. He's he's You know, this is not fun for him. He's like, what the heck? I'm a dragon. This is not good. You know, he's flying around. He's got scales. And in in this one scene, I think it's the voyage of the Dawn Treader. In that movie, in the scene, they show him he's scratching at the scales and he wants the scales to come off. And Aslan, Aslan the lion comes up and and he's like, listen, you got to stay still. You just got to lay there and let me open up that wound, right? I'm going to open that wound up. You're going to pull the, 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 we're going to get to the, the, the thing, the the thing you're scared of, the, the thing you're most afraid of, um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You want to experience real faith, all right? You want to dump the act of religion and start experiencing God in a real way? Start going after love and wholeness in yourself. And maybe you'll come to realize, as I have, that those looks that kill, just another chapter in that love story, just another doorway for the enhancement of getting to know yourself and your partner a little better and see what happens in your relationship as a result. Relationships, right? Not just with your romantic love stories. Uh, what do they call that in the movies? Love interest. But all of your relationships. Alright? I love you guys. Till next time. My name is Rasha, ASI247.org. This is the Rackineers. Peace out. Homies. you as, right, I, or Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is a listener-supported podcast. Do you like what you hear, here? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast. Attitudes of Sexual Integrity is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents. SI, the podcast and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal, or other advice. In addition, Rust makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional psychological or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist.